0: If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're looking at one verse today, verse 10. You can, pay, you can find it on page 976 in the Bibles there in the chairs if you don't have your Bible with you. Now we're going to attempt to pick it back up where I left off in May. And I really hope that I still remember how to do this. I, I was actually sitting in the preaching lab last week with all of these guys. Coming to the realization that every one of you in the preaching lab have preached more in the last two months than I have. It's kind of crazy, you know? And I do hope that this extended period, this sabbatical, has not been a sabbatical for you in your memorization of Ephesians, but an opportunity to catch up. So I hope that all of you are right where we are today with Ephesians 2 verse 10. If not, don't fret. Just continue to persevere. We have plenty. I'm going to give you lots of opportunities to catch up along the way. And I do hope that you see just the value in meditating deeply over God's word and seeing how it comes to bear in our lives and in our hearts. I do want to thank Jim and Caleb for wisely and lovingly forcing me to go on a sabbatical. They took a look at us and they saw how worn out we were, and uh, they did, they, they picked up a lot of responsibilities to make that possible for us to be able to take that break and, and at least attempt to rest. And so thank you guys for that. Jim, thank you especially for preaching through Second Peter and bringing God's word to us. And, and to honor you today, I wore my Missouri Tigers shirt. Just, that's, this is for Jim, all right? So. <laughs> but I also want to thank all of you who have been uh, diligent to pray for us and find tangible ways to just serve us in this time as well. It's been a real blessing to see the body come around and serve us in that way. So thank you. Now, you probably don't remember, but the last time we left off in Ephesians, I actually introduced this verse, Ephesians 2, verse 10, alongside verses 8 and 9, because I told you they were inseparable. They were meant to go together. And so what did we do? We decided to separate them from two, by two months, right? So... Doesn't make a lot of sense. But nevertheless, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 are meant to go together. This is a summary statement. Paul is basically encapsulating all that he has spoken of in chapters 1 and so far in chapter 2. Just trying to round that out and then set the trajectory for where we are heading. Okay? So it's, it's a movement. He's, he's basically taking all of Ephesians 1, 1 through 2, 7 summarizing it down and pointing us towards the rest of the book okay so it's a significant passage but even more than that Ephesians 2 8 through 10 is one of the clearest most concise briefest summaries of the Christian faith not only does it provide a doctrinal summary of the Christian faith but it actually helps us to understand the implications of that faith on our lives Ephesians 2, 8-10 reveals to us that the one true and living God, his sovereign creator and redeemer, who is saving a people unto himself, a people of his own possession by his undeserved and unearned grace. It also clearly explains that salvation is not the result or the reward of our good works, like so many other religions believe, because we are fallen sinners, completely incapable of doing what is required, what is necessary to save ourselves. Instead, salvation is given by the grace of God alone. And if it is given by grace, then we do not contribute. And because salvation is all of grace and not of ourselves, we have no ability in and of ourselves to boast. There's no grounds for pride in the Christian faith. God alone gets the glory for our salvation. We merely perform good works in keeping with our salvation because of and as we are empowered by the continual, lavish grace of God that is daily given to us in Christ Jesus. So today's passage, verse 10, gives us the reason why we cannot boast, the reason why we cannot be proud. You see, salvation is no light matter we often treat it like it is. It's not simply God overlooking an offense or turning the other cheek long enough for you to kind of get your act together and cover the mistakes yourself. No, salvation, as it's presented in Ephesians, is so extreme, so radical, so other than who we are by nature that Scripture describes it as a new creation. That God must make us anew. Our sinful state is so severe that we have no ability in and of ourselves to save ourselves through our good works. We must rely upon God. Salvation is impossible unless God makes us anew. Good works then, or good works as God sees them, cannot achieve the salvation. Instead, they are God's intended result of his prior work of recreating us. God works, and that results in our work, not the other way around. Now, this is a big, heavy, and very important topic for us to grasp, because so often we get it wrong, and we think that we have to earn our salvation. We think we have to maintain or keep our salvation, that it's dependent upon me and what I do and my opinion of myself or my comparison to other people around me. But this passage shatters all of that, which is why we stuck with just verses 8 and 9 last time, and now we are looking at verse 10 all on its own. We're going to explore this relationship between God's recreating work in us and our work as a result of His in greater detail. So if you have fantastic memories, the main idea from chapter two, verses eight and nine was that God saves by grace alone, not as a reward for our good works. And in light of that, we can now deal with the main idea of verse 10, which is good works are the result of God's work. Good works are the result of God's work. And so with that, Let's read our passage, but we're going to start in verse 8. So again, it's page 976, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And it says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, it's clear from this passage that good works cannot save us. Instead, good works are the result of God's work. But to understand our good works and how they fit into the Christian life, we must first look at God's good work. So that's point number one, God's good work. Now, let's just think for a minute about God's good work described in the book of Ephesians. Paul goes into inordinate detail helping us to understand and grasp just how full, just how great, just how magnificent God's work of salvation is in our lives. He starts right there in chapter 1, verse 3, that if all of those who have repented of their sin and trusted in Christ, those who are trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sin and the hope of eternal life, that God has blessed them in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That God chose us before the foundation of the world for the purpose of making us holy and blameless before Him. That in love, God predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters in Christ. That He is in the process of redeeming us and forgiving us. And though... In in salvation, God seals us with his promised Holy Spirit. He promises a guaranteed inheritance that is ours. God is in the process of imparting knowledge to us and revealing his will to us. He's enlightening the eyes of our hearts that we may understand and we might see the hope, the inheritance, and the immeasurable power available to us in Christ so that we might worship the risen and exalted Lord as king and ruler over all. Every authority, every power, every dominion, every ruler, not just in this present age, but in every age, everywhere, Christ is Lord over all. And he has given him as head to the church. All of that, all of these things are descriptions of God's work in salvation. But in chapter two, Paul continues by describing our sinful condition apart from Christ. He says that we were dead in our sin that we were enslaved to the world, the devil and our own sinful flesh and that we all by nature were condemned under his just and holy wrath. That's everyone. That's who we all were or who we are all, all are. This is the hopeless state of all mankind from which we either need or needed rescue. That was our desperate condition and there is no amount or quality of good works that could ever redeem us from ourselves. In our condition, we were wretched, miserable, and doomed to eternal destruction. In and of ourselves, we were absolutely hopeless. And it is into that helpless state that God's divine light breaks forth in chapter 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That though we were dead, God made us alive. Do you see that this is resurrection language? God raised us up with him. He seated us with him. God gives us new life to those who were dead. He causes them to be born again. And by the grace of God alone, they are a new creation in Christ Jesus. This salvation, this new life is a gift from God solely on the basis of his grace. And therefore we have no room for boasting. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And here in verse 10, Paul gives the reason why we have no room to boast in our works, in our effort, in our faith, as if we accomplished something. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. The reason why we don't boast in our effort, the reason why he calls us repeatedly to praise God for his glorious grace is because we are God's workmanship. Christ has created us anew. Not only is salvation not the product of your good works, but to the complete contrary, you are God's work. New creation in Christ for good works. Good works make us Pharisees. God makes us Christians. We are his work. He is not ours. Now what Paul is speaking about here is what we call the doctrine of regeneration. To be regenerate means to, to regenerate means to create again. Again. So in our statement of faith, we define regeneration this way. Regeneration is a change of heart brought about by the Holy Spirit who gives life to those who are dead in trespasses and sins, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the word of God and renewing their whole nature so that they love and practice holiness. It is a work of God's free and special grace alone. That's really the doctrine that we're dealing with this morning. The Bible says a lot about regeneration. For example, in John 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he calls it being born again. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he goes on to tell Nicodemus that this new birth is the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't cause yourself to be born again just as you can't cause yourself to be born. The apostle Peter picks up this language in 1 Peter chapter 1 where he tells us that it is God who, quote, caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on to say that it's God's divine work that that Is fueled and it happens. We are born again as we believe in God's living and abiding word. In 2 Corinthians 5 17, Paul tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, Paul says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You understand that this is God's good work that recreates us. This is God's good work that causes us to be born again. This is God's good work that makes us a new creation in Christ Jesus. Salvation is not a reward for our good works. Instead, it says here that we are God's workmanship. Now, this is fascinating on so many levels. I mean, first of all, it's corporate I mean, look at there. It it goes from plural to singular. It says, We plural, we plural are God's single workmanship. That together we are the single intended result of God's gracious, divine, and eternal effort. That together we are this. It highlights that corporate identity of the church and why we are to be a part of it. It's not simply that you are God's workmanship, or that you are God's workmanship, or that you are God's workmanship, but that we together are God's single workmanship, in this grand and complex and beautiful masterpiece. Together, we are to be that. We also notice here that we are God's workmanship. That means that God is actively working. God is not some passive, distant, cold tyrant that's like out there in the ether somewhere just dictating what we must do. No, it says that God is actively working right now, right here in us through every situation, through every circumstance, whether that be blessing or whether that be trial. We are God's work. He is working. Even the word that Paul uses here is unique because when we think of work, we think of toil. We think of labor we think of hardship, right? It's just, I don't like work, but I gotta work. But that's not the word that's used here. This word workmanship speaks of the creative activity or craftsmanship of God. This word is the word that we get our word poem from. We are God's creation. We are God's craft, God's handiwork, God's masterpiece, God's poem, if you will. It highlights the care and the detail and the intention and the artistry of God's work in our lives. If you think about it that way, if you've ever done anything creative, whether you knit or whether you paint Whether you write songs or whether you write a paper for a class, you know that the intention and artistry and detail and purpose that comes into what you're doing, you care about it. No one just kind of creates and be like, well, here you go, right? We labor at it because we love it. And that is the same way with God's workmanship in our life. Paul then says that we who are God's workmanship, were created in Christ Jesus. Again, this is the same word that speaks of God forming all there is from nothing. It's the same word that describes God' act of creating life from nothing. That the one true and living God has created all there is. You exist because you were created. And not only did that God create life, but that God, he sustains life. The very fact that you're able to breathe right now is because of God's sustaining grace towards your life. The very fact that you can, your heart beats. You don't make it beat. You don't sit there pumping your heart. Because let's face it, if that was the case, that's all you would do your entire life, right? God allows that to happen. That is God's creating, sustaining work in your life. You exist because you were created. He's the one who has given you life. God is created you by giving you life and sustaining that life. And for those who are in Christ, God has recreated you. He has caused you to be born again. You have a new life in Christ. I mean, think about this. When when we read Genesis 1, we don't read, in the beginning, I created the heavens and earth. And so why, when we would come to a passage like this one, would we say, I created myself in Christ Jesus. It's foolishness. It's vanity. It's pride. It's boasting. The very purpose of this passage is negated for the sake of exalting myself. And we know that from the context of Ephesians 1 and 2, that Paul is speaking of God's creative work in salvation ex nihilo, from nothing, apart from any effort from us. And just as you are not active in your earthly conception, your new creation life in Christ is the result of God's work and not your own. You were created in Christ. You are as active in the whole endeavor as you are able to take dust from the ground and create a man or to surgically remove a rib and create a woman. This is God's work. You cannot save yourself. You cannot create yourself. You are his creation in Christ Jesus. This workmanship, this salvation, this new creation is found only in Christ. There is no other way. It's not as though Christ is one way to be created and to be made right with God. He is the only way that God actively creates a people for himself. There is no salvation. There is no regeneration. There is no new creation apart from Jesus Christ. And this is what all those other religions of works miss. The fact that you need to be born again. The fact that you need to be created. It's not that you get to pick it and choose it the way that you want to. It's saying that no God must first work in you to save you, to bring you to himself. This is why Christianity is so different from every other religion in the world because it's not a religion of what you do. It's a religion of what God has done. If you miss that, you are going to fall into a religion of works. God's true and perfect word alone reveals to us that salvation can only be ours by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Therefore, boasting is excluded. Now, before we can look at our good works as a byproduct of God's prior good work in us, I want us to think about three points of application regarding God's good work of regeneration in us. And I just have you know, I'm kind of borrowing these, adapting them, but borrowing them from John Piper's Finally Alive. I commend this book to you. It's just a great practical application of the doctrine of regeneration. According to this passage, true Christians, true believers, are those whom God has regenerated. And so then, how do we apply regeneration if this is God's work and not ours? I'm like, we don't do anything, so how do we think about application? Well, first of all, it's a matter of seeing. All right, regeneration is not about getting a new religion, it's about receiving new life. Regeneration is not about getting a new religion, it's about receiving new life. We can't think of Christianity as, as one religion of good works among many. So often, whether we admit it or not, that's exactly how we treat it. We treat it as, as though we transition from worshiping and serving ourselves and our sinful state to worshiping and serving Christ by our own effort. It's, a, it's not ultimately about what God has done. It's about me, what I, who I am, who I want to be, what I must do, or what I want to do this passage destroys all that. That it's not about you and it's not about your work. It's about God and his work to give you new life in Christ. It's about what he does, not about what we do. And so you have to ask yourself, do I have new life in Christ complete with new desires New affections and this longing to follow after, to serve, and to reflect the very nature and character of Christ? Or did I simply exchange practices, morals, beliefs, or ethics? Am I treating Christianity as just another religion, just another worldview that I want to take on, that I'm just transitioning from this one to that one? The second point of application of God's work here in regeneration is that regeneration is not affirming the supernatural in Jesus, but experiencing the supernatural in yourself. Here's what I mean by that. So often if you ask someone if they've been born again, they'll answer that question, but what they're really saying is, if they say yes, is that I profess to be born again. I'm professing my faith to believe that Jesus does supernatural work. Not that necessarily that supernatural work has been done in me. I and mean, this is one of the problem with Barner Group's research is they surveyed Americans to see how born-again Christians act in comparison to the rest of America in terms of like the number of born-again believers or the divorce rate of born-again believers or the abstinence of born-again believers Right, their results are totally warped because they're asking people based upon their profession of being born again, but many of whom, a number of whom, are not actually born again. What they are doing in this survey is to profess that they believe that Jesus is supernatural, but not affirming the supernatural work of God in them. To be a Christian is not simply to affirm truths about Jesus, it's to be changed by Jesus. This passage tells us that God is not passive, he's active. And he's not active in the abstract out there. He is active at work in my soul, that he is the workman of my soul, that he is the workman of the church, that he is working in you. He is working in us. Can you see God's handiwork in your heart? Or are you simply to professing to believe in his work? And then a third point of application of God's work in us is that regeneration is not improvement of your old nature, but the creation of a new nature, a new nature that is really you and is forgiven and is cleansed, but a nature that is really new, being formed and changed and and sanctified by the indwelling Holy Spirit. God's good work in us is not self help or self improvement. God's grace does more than make life a little better than it was before. God has promised. In passages like Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, that I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleannesses. From all of your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Has God changed your heart? Has God cleansed you from your idols? Has he put his Holy Spirit in you? Are you drawn to the truth and beauty of Jesus Christ? Or do you really find him just dull and lifeless? Do you long after and love the things of the world? You speak about them. You spend yourself on them. You are devoting yourself to them. Or do you love Christ and long to follow him above everything else? Friends, these are just some ways to think about our own hearts and God's work on it. These are ways to consider whether or not you are truly a Christian. These are truths that we can rejoice and we can take deep comfort in though. because God is actively at work in each and every one of us who are truly his and praise God for that being a Christian is not about your work for him but God's good work in you for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus So recreation, new birth, regeneration, new creation, this is God's good work in us. And it's out of God's good work in us that second flow our good works. So that's point number two, our good works. Here we see how Paul transitions from the vertical theology to horizontal theology. From how God's good work and salvation in Christ brings a change in our vertical relationship with him. We are now restored. We are now reconciled. God is doing this work of changing us. And out of that, as a result of that, flows this outward horizontal theology, which is our good works for him and for other people. See, our new life in Christ leads to new living in Christ. And that has to be so. Read it again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are God's workmanship. We were created in Christ not by our good works, not because of our good works, but for our good works. Meaning that the goal and purpose of God's good work in our lives is to manifest itself in our good works towards him and others. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation in him for the purpose of good works. Your new identity in Christ is not an end in and of itself. But as it says in Titus 2, 11 through 14... For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who saved us who gave a, I'm sorry who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify get this for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. God's good work in Christ was purposed by God to result in our good works for Christ. Now, we have to define what good works are. We go wrong here a lot, okay? So what are good works? Is, are good works simply religious or charitable activities, are good works anything that isn't overtly sinful or done in abject rebellion against God? Like, so basically, if it's not negative, then it's positive. Are they merely morally upright outward actions? Well, let's start off by defining works, and then we'll look at what it means to be a good work, okay? So, when I, I think it's best to start out by defining works as that which comes out of man, Works as that which comes out of man. Think of fruit or produce that comes from man's heart. If that is the case, then works could be actions, which is often the way we think about them, but also attitudes. Not just activities, but also words and thoughts. Because here's the thing. This is why I have to define it so broadly. There's no such thing as a dormant, inactive thought. There's no such thing as a dormant, inactive attitude. You always act, even in subtle ways, on the thoughts, attitudes, and desires of your heart. Your longings and desires will always dictate your actions. Works are the activity of the motives of our hearts. Therefore, our works have to include our thoughts, attitudes, and desires. Activity is happening, even if it remains up here or right here. So then what are good works? Well, first of all, good works are not works of the flesh. And by that, I mean anything that comes out of our natural unbelieving condition. Works of the flesh are actions, attitudes, thoughts, words, actions, activities that come from our sinful nature that seeks to live without God or to live apart from God or to live in control of God. Now, some of the works of the flesh are evident, according to Galatians 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Those are obvious works of the flesh. But works of the flesh can also include helpful activities, self-sacrificial activities that we would attempt to do in order to define ourselves as good apart from God. This is what Romans 3 says. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Apart from faith in Christ, all of our activities are sin. All our supposed deeds are good deeds, however good we might define them, are as filthy rags in the sight of God. They are not good works, but they are works of the flesh. Someone who is not regenerate cannot please God. And when we act out of our sinful state, even though our neighbor might consider our activity kind of good, doesn't make it good. Anything done apart from faith is sin. But good works are not works of the law either. They're not works of the flesh. They're not works of the law. If you are attempting by your own effort to obey God's commands in some effort to earn your salvation or to maintain your right standing before God, it is not a good work, but a work of the law. If you are trusting ultimately in your own ability to make yourself acceptable to God, it is a work of the law. Here's some questions that kind of help probe this a little bit further. Do you consider yourself basically to be a good person or at least better than most other people around you? Are you basing your right standing on, uh, before God on how moral you are, on how law abiding, on how religious? Are you assured of your salvation because you pray to sinners prayer or you receive baptism or you've taken the Lord's Supper? Or because you consistently drag your family to endure these long weekly services? Maybe because you have a weekly, irregular, daily quiet time. Are you anxiously striving to do all you can to keep yourselves in God's good graces and it torments and plagues your soul because you never know whether you have done enough? You see, this one's a lot more subtle. You are doing a lot of work. But the question becomes are they good works? And you have to answer by asking the question what makes it good? What makes your effort good? Well, God's definition of good is God. You want to disagree with that? God's definition of good is God, He's the standard of goodness. He is perfect goodness. He bases our standing on if anyone desires to be with him, they must be holy as he is holy. They must be perfect as he is perfect. Are any of your good deeds as good as God? Are you doing them for good motives? Are your actions selfless or are they selfish? Are you doing them to buy God? Are you doing them apart from a dependent faith in Christ to be that perfect righteousness in your place? Are you trusting in yourself or are you trusting in Christ? Are you doing this good work willingly or are you doing it out of compulsion? You see, if you have improper motives, if your goal is selfish, if you are doing them by your own strength apart from God, if you are not doing them in dependent faith in Christ, If in any way this is some feeble attempt to buy God's favor, then they are not good works, they are works of the law. Let's face it, guys. We fall into this more than we could possibly imagine. The only thing that makes good works good is God. We cannot do anything good apart from God's prior good work to bring us to faith in christ that god must first create us anew by his grace and that good works then are not my selfish or self-centered attempts to please god by my own effort but they are instead the natural byproduct of my new identity my new life in christ it flows out of who i truly am in him They are grace-enabled actions, attitudes, thoughts, words, and activities that are consistent with the very nature and character of Christ who lives in me. Good works don't make us Christians. Life in Christ produces naturally, indispensably, good works. They are the natural outflow of our new identity in Christ, that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. They flow from us as water from a faucet that's been opened. And not only are our good works the intended goal of God's good work, but they are also the foreordained effect of God's good work. Okay, you've got to get this because it's not that God just says, okay, I really, 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 really want you guys to do good works. But Paul goes on to say, no, these are God's foreordained effect in your life. If you are truly a Christian, if you are truly a new creation in Christ, He says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, right here, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This word prepared beforehand, take a guess what it means. Prepare beforehand, right? Not simply foreordain, like know ahead of time, declare ahead of time, but to make ahead of time. And when I think of the word prepare, I always think of food, right? Let's face it, look at me, right? So it's like food that is made ahead of time and is right there ready for you. Okay, but I'm, I'm talking more than your granny making some of your favorite dishes for you to take home and reheat or those leftovers in your fridge that you can get out and pop in the microwave or those nasty frozen cardboard dinners that you rip the package off and stick it in the microwave, heat it up and eat it. All right? it's more than that. Because that requires too much effort on your part to open that package and pull back that saran wrap and push those buttons only to eat something that is cold and stale and old. I mean, let's face it, even granny's dumplings are not as good when you've heated them up. Now, what God prepares beforehand is so much better than that. It's more like coming home to a romantic dinner that your spouse has spent hours preparing to make so that everything is just so. Or maybe somebody's surprising you with a trip to your favorite destination and you get there and, you, and, and the bags are packed and the itinerary set and all you do is walk in it. You Simply step forward, you follow the plan, you follow the agenda and you just enjoy it and take delight in it. In God's wisdom and his goodness and the complexity of his sovereignty, God works your good works for your good even in the midst of every day circumstances, not just in the times of blessing like that you're feeling really blessed when you have that romantic dinner, but also when times are hard and difficult or just mundane and seemingly insignificant, that God has purposed all of those things, working these out. And as you walk in your new identity in Christ, you perform these good works in every day, seemingly meaningless situations for the glory of God and for the good of others. You reflect the very nature and character of Christ to other people in each and every circumstance. And it is glorious. It is a blessing. It is for your good and for his glory. God knows what you need. God has intended your joy in these preplanned good works for you to walk in. He knows that you are a sinner in need of grace, in need of sanctification. And God has prepared beforehand the course of your life filled with good works that lead to conformity of Christ to reflect the very nature and character of Christ in true holiness and righteousness. These are his supplied ends to make you holy and blameless before him. These good works are to characterize our Christian walk he says, they've been prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. And when scripture speaks of the Christian walk, it's referring to a manner of life that is consistent with your manner of life. Good works are the manner of life for someone who is a new creation in Christ. Good works then are the natural consequence of God's good work in us. They just happen. They flow. According to chapter two, verses one and two, by nature and apart from Christ, we used to walk in our trespasses and sins. But now we are to walk in the good works which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. In chapter four, if you were to move ahead, we are encouraged to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, basically to live in light of our new identity in Christ, not in our old identity. And we are to no longer walk as unbelievers in the futility of our minds. In chapter 4, or I'm sorry, chapter 5, we are exhorted to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We are to walk as children of light, not as those who are in darkness. We are to walk as the wise, not as those who are unwise. Those who are a new creation in Christ live as a new creation in Christ, not perfectly, but progressively, increasingly as their new identity becomes more and more and more of a reality in their lives. You know, when Phyllis and I got married, there was a period of time there where we didn't feel married. I mean, now we feel married, right? But there was a progression of feeling married, When we found out that we were going to be parents, we didn't live or act or feel like we were parents. But you know what? Now we do, right? Progressively working more and more. We feel more like parents than we ever did before. It's hard to believe, you know? Four kids and one on the way will do that to you. But we live in that identity. That was our identity then, right? There was a period of time in which we took it on as our own. We started living in that new identity. And so it is with our lives in Christ that God makes us alive, that we become a new creation because of God's good work in us. And we now live... Out of that new identity, growing as a clearer reflection of the very nature and character of Christ, we are progressively transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. We become him as we behold him. And God's workmanship, we walk in our new creation. We give outward evidence to the fact that we have been changed by Jesus. That's what our good works are a mirror to what God is doing in our souls. And so in thinking about how this applies to us, Paul is speaking about far more than do-good-ism, preaching morality that I just need to pull it up by my own bootstraps and do more. I just need to be better. I need to do this and do that or do this. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, Live in your new nature by the grace of God. Live in your new identity. Let go of that old identity that no longer defines who you are and live in your new identity. Be who you are in Christ. Because, and here's the thing. You can can fool other people into thinking who you are by your good works. But you're never going to pull the eyes, the wool over the eyes of God. But even in that, it's only a period of time before your true identity comes to light. If you're seeking to earn your salvation, if you're seeking to present yourself as a Christian and you're basing that upon your own effort, your own good works, as that evidence and you're striving and you're trying really hard and you're covering things up, but you're living in that old identity, not in that new identity, it's going to show. It always does. Now, what Paul is preaching for us here is to walk in God's good work in us to walk in our true identity in Christ, to be who we truly are in him, not by our own strength, not by our own effort, but by active dependence and rest upon God's ever-present grace in our lives, that we are united to Christ. And so now we are to live as Christ. But to do this, you first have to honestly assess, has God truly worked in me? has Jesus really changed me? Is he changing me? And one of the best ways to tell is simply what Paul says here. Do you reflect the attitude and actions and thought and words and activities of Christ? Is that your manner of life? Is that the pattern that is set out and increasingly According to this passage good works are the natural result of God's work result or God's work in us and so if you can't see any good work in your life perhaps you need to question your profession professing Christ is not being changed by Christ and the best thing you can do and in fact the very first step of clear identification of God's work in your life, if that's who you are, a professing Christian, but not a true changed Christian, is to be honest with yourself. Right? That's God's work in you. If you're here today and you've never professed faith in Christ... You've never heard of, of God's work in us to lead us to turn away from our old identity, our, old, our, our sin, and to follow Christ, that I pray that God would be working in you right now. And here's how to identify what that looks like. Can you sense a change of desires in your heart? Do you find yourself longing to know more about God and the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, for sin? Are you becoming aware and unsettled by your current position? Do you see your need for Jesus? If so, that's God working in your heart. And if that's you today, please come and talk to me or Jim or Caleb or someone after the service. Let's continue to explore how God might be working in your heart to lead you to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have clearly seen God's work in us, we can clearly tell that Christ has changed us and is changing us, giving us new desires, if we can see evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, the first way that we walk in these good works which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in is simply by rejoicing, is simply by giving God thanks and continuing to meditate upon God's good work in us. And we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, we didn't achieve it, but God has given it nonetheless and we are grateful. Respond in faith. Never tire of praising God for his lavish and immeasurable grace in your life. To walk in this new identity in Christ, you must first understand what it is. So study, seek, to know Christ more and more and more and more. And as you learn more about who he is and what he is like and what he has done, follow him in it, imitate him, desire to be more like him, walk in the good works which God has prepared beforehand because you are a new creation in Christ. Not some vain attempt to earn or keep your favor, but to love and to delight in and to joy the God who made you to be who you are in Christ. Praise Him for it. Good works are not the result of our own effort. Good works are the result of God's work for us and God's work in us in Jesus Christ. So let's walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this vivid reminder that we cannot achieve our right standing before you. And we thank you that you have done what we cannot. Not just what you have done initially, but what you continue to do. God, I thank you for the truth proclaimed in this passage that we are your workmanship. Lord, I pray that we would be able to see clearly how you are actively at work in any and every circumstance that we might find ourselves in, that that you are, are working these things out for our good, even in the hardships, even the difficulties, even in the trial, even in the sin of others, and even in the sin that we ourselves commit as we fall into that old identity rather than the new. Lord, I pray that we would see your hand clearly at work in our lives and stand in awe of it. Forgive us for the ways that we pridefully try to take credit for our salvation, that we pridefully try to earn our way. Lord, we are here because we are unworthy, but you have declared us worthy and are making us worthy by the perfect sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And as we take the Lord's Supper, as this visible display of of the sensual reminder of what Christ has done for us, I pray that we would stand in awe and not proclaim and exalt ourselves, but proclaim that we are unworthy. But Christ's death is sufficient to forgive us of our sin, to restore us to you to reconcile us to one another, to be your new society in Christ. And we thank you for your word. May it come in power. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.